Hey there, thank you for taking the time to download this Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is October 10, 2021, and this Sunday we are continuing our series called A Flourishing Life. And this message is entitled, I Was Meant to Flourish. And so we're taking it all from 1 John chapter 4. God bless you as you listen. God is good. All the time. Yeah, one more time. God is good. All the time. Amen. He is. And we celebrate that in more than just Thanksgiving, right? I mean, that's, that's just the, the anthem of our lives, the anthem of our days, that God is good. And we're going to be talking, we're continuing to talk about a flourishing life. And really, all that goodness of God bears into that so, so much. Last week, we started this series uh, with a question. The question was, what is the most important thing you have ever heard in church? And I gave you a second to kind of mull over it for your own selves, but then I told you what I believe is the most important thing I've ever heard in church. And let's see if you're just a little bit more excited this week about it right off the bat than you were last week. The most important thing I have learned in church is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. Amen. God is good. That is probably the most basic and yet the most profound thing about God, isn't it? It is the most mind-blowing thing in the entire universe. Because everything in this universe is really the product of that thought, that truth. Everything about your spiritual quest, your purpose, your whole life is found in that truth that God is love, right? I want you to think about it this way. And you can answer it out loud if you'd like. Is there anything impossible for God? Okay. Is there anything that God does not know? Is there anywhere that God isn't? No. So if God is all-powerful, if he is all-knowing, if he is everywhere present at all times, now imagine if that description of him, which is true, was minus love. Let that sink in for a second. If God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present all the time, but he is minus love? Wow. That sure puts things into perspective, doesn't it? If he were not love, we would be in big trouble, right? I think we need to give God a thanksgiving wave for that, eh? Amen? Come on. Come on, give it up. The whole crowd, it's like better than the Riders game, right? Amen. Well, last week I made the concluding statement that we all have two things in common. We want to know God personally, and we want those we care about to know God personally, right? But how do we help those we care about to know the God of love like we do? That's a profound question too. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 to 21. 1 John chapter 4, it's really near the end of the the Bible there, just a couple of chapters before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Okay, you there? Awesome. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone 
who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for this amazing book. It's actually an accumulation of 66 books, and we get that, but for us, it is one story. For us, it is the story of the love of God for all peoples. And we rejoice in being able to handle this book and being able to read it. There was a time when people could not read it, either because of illiteracy or the lack of manuscripts. But today, Lord, we have this amazing, amazing book that chronicles the journey of hundreds and thousands of women and men and even children who have come to know you. We know, Father, from this book that Jesus came to reveal what you are like to us. So, Lord, in this moment, in these moments, in this time of coming together around your book, We pray that today your spirit will illumine this word to our hearts so that we may know you better. For that is our ultimate desire, Lord, to know you better with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And for this and to this end, we give ourselves over to you. We submit ourselves to your word. And God's people said, amen. Now praying that, I hope that you're prepared to let God transform you today. But before that happens, you have to understand what God wants to transform you into. And so we'll look at that this morning. This is the first point. Number one, God plans to transform you into a God-complete person so you may share life with him. God plans to transform you into a God-complete person so you may share life with him. Would you consider yourself a God-complete person? 
You might be thinking, well, I would if I knew what you were talking about. Well, let's find out what I'm talking about. First John chapter 4, let's reread verses 12 to 13. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. According to John, especially verse 12, God's love reaches its fullest expression, is made complete when we love our fellow human beings, when we live in love, like Christ lived in love. Yet this is perhaps the most challenging part of our relationship with God. Because for the Christian, for the Christian, the invisibility of our relationship with God is probably the source of our greatest spiritual frustration. But it can also be our greatest revelation of God, too. So I want you to be keenly aware of something as you yourselves wrestle with this idea of God's invisibility, his intangibility. I want you to remember that always, always, our relationship with God, this religion that we're a part of, is a a relationship, a religion of persons. It's a religion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to help us along in that relationship, God became like one of us because we weren't getting it. We call that the incarnation. It's what we call Christmas, right? It means that God, the invisible, yet all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present person became flesh and bone just like us so that humanity could relate with God. And that incarnation, that visible, tangible revelation of God is Jesus a very real historical person. And this has become the distinguishing truth about our Christian faith. I mean, go back to John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What was once lacking in humanity's ability to relate with God is now made possible through the real body and life of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the joy that the disciples experienced. They got to walk and talk and eat with Jesus. God made flesh face to face. But after three and a half years with these guys... Jesus tells them a startling revelation. He's telling them, he starts telling them that he's going to be leaving them. That he was going back to the Father. As you can imagine, this totally bums these guys out and they start asking, well, how are we going to make it, Lord? What are we going to do without you, Lord? And then Jesus dies at the hands of the Romans and under the conspiracy of their Jewish leaders. And the Bible tells us that the disciples from there on scattered. The frightening absence and loss of Jesus devastated them. His death broke them. They couldn't handle it. But then something happened. Something that he had told them about. Something that changed everything for them and about them. Jesus rose to life again. The same Jesus rose to life again. Not a ghost, not a fake, but the real bodily presence person of Jesus came back to life from the grave. And when he did, the disciples came back too. 
They came back and Jesus gathers them together and says to them, you idiots, how come you failed me? How come you took off? Don't you love me anymore? No, he didn't say that. Instead, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 5, and 8, he says, guys, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he leaves them again. He ascends into the sky, and he vanishes behind a cloud. But this time he doesn't come back. This time, the absence and invisibility issue that caused the disciples problems the last time didn't bother them because they knew that he was still alive and he ascended to the right hand of the Father so they could handle this invisibility issue now. Ephesians 4 to 10, he who descended to the grave is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so that was their anticipation. And so with the problem of absence and invisibility solved, they go to Jerusalem, like Jesus said, and they wait there for 10 days, and just like he told them, another counselor came. Another counselor comes to be with them forever. God, the Holy Spirit, shows up, and he indwells all the believers. And he comes to live in them, and he comes to empower them to be the witnesses of Jesus that Jesus said that they would be. It's like Jesus had never left them, essentially. And generation after generation, new disciples are born again, and the same Holy Spirit becomes the indwelling companion of every person who confesses Jesus as the risen, living Savior and Lord. (laughs) Awesome, hey? I mean, I think we should give another Thanksgiving wave for that, eh? Let's give a praise to God. Hallelujah. God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us such a precious gift. But even now, our relationship with God depends on God in us by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 13 to 14, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Isn't that incredible? God, the Holy Spirit, has come to take up residence in you and me. See, otherwise, I think most Christians think of their Christian life this way. Right there, that circle in the middle. I think of me and all the different spheres of influence and activity that make up my life network. And somehow, I've got to try to bring God in from the outside, looking in, into the different areas of activity that make up my life. But what if I were to put God in the center of it all, with me? I mean, that's the proposition when you become a Christian. See, if you're a Christian, you've already been transformed into a God-complete person. And you now share life with the God of the universe. Because God is on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, God is as present and engaged in every part of your life network, in every sphere of influence and activity as you are. Because he is in you. Isn't that amazing? Let's give another Thanksgiving wave for that. Hey, praise God for that. God is good. 
Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That is absolutely awesome that God has done this to us. I mean, we can't even begin to fathom it. And and most days, we don't even think of it. That means that while you're with your family, today around Thanksgiving table, while you're among friends, while you're at work on Monday or Tuesday, while you're in this building among other believers, and while you're out in the world, Everywhere you go, you go with God, and God goes with you. He is literally in you, friend, because of God the Holy Spirit. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're understanding that. And if you are, turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is no longer absent from me. Do that. (laughs) Doesn't that just transform the way you see yourself, your personal identity? And doesn't that just transform everything about the way you understand the love of God? You're not trying to love some distant, omnipresent being. You get to love the God who indwells you. That's profound. 1 John 4, 16 to 17, and so we know. Do you know it? And rely. Do you rely on it? The love of God, the love of God has for you. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. But folks, listen. Are you listening? Listen, Linda, listen. (laughs) The transformation of you doesn't stop there. Number two, God plans to transform you into a fearless Christ follower. God plans to transform you into a fearless Christ Christ, spirit-enabled Christ follower. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Can you say that with me? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's an interesting thought. How much of your life so far do you think you have lived out trying to avoid God's displeasure or worse, his rebuke. Come on, be honest with yourself. The practical reality is that many Christians live their whole Christian lives self-directing their actions and their choices out of fear of God more than out of love for God. Look back on your own life. There is a difference, though, you know. See, somewhere along the way, in our walk with Jesus, many Christians somehow, some way, take a detour, and they end up on a path of fear-based performance instead of on the path of love. The reason for this is because somehow, at the beginning of our journey with Jesus, we got fooled, or maybe even told, about thinking that we had to appease God. Not not please him, but appease him with our good behavior instead of simply loving and trusting him. And we got hung up on walking in guilt rather than walking in love. And maybe you grew up in a church or in a family that reinforced that guilt. 
I know phrases like pleasing God and being obedient sound like good motivations. And they are good things, but they're not necessarily good, good motivations. God's intention was that they were to be the product of a walk of love. Not the motivation for a walk with God. The products of a walk with Christ motivated by pleasing God and being obedient will only ever be fear, guilt, and frustration. Whereas the walk motivated by love for God will always be faith, grace, and joy. Do you trust God? Let's find out. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, circle, highlight, Underline, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's the love of God at work, friends. I want you to hold out your hands for a moment. Let's personalize this. Come on, some of you think you're too good to do this. Come on, stick out your hands. I want you to say this with me. It's up here on the overhead. I accept what the Bible says. That once I was alienated from God and an enemy of his in my mind because of my evil behavior. But now he has reconciled me by Christ's physical body through death to present me holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. God fully approves of me. Amen. Why don't you turn that into a, into a thanksgiving wave, shall we? Amen. He fully approves of us. I know it looks corny, everyone, but listen, this is something that we should be thankful for today and be willing and free in our spirits to give praise to God for. Awesome. God is awesome. So I hope you see what you did there. You read a truth about God and about you and you declared it out loud. You surrendered to it. You trusted the God of love for it. You weren't trying to please him by better performance, but you simply received it and believed it and spoke it because it already is true of you. He is already pleased with you. He already approves of you. You are already holy in his sight. Yes, you'll mess up. Yes, there will be times where you'll be disgraced. But he has and always will love you and be pleased with you. And when you surrender to the love of God daily, then you'll be able to completely reflect a loving God in your life network. And that's his goal. That's his plan. And therefore, you will be able to impact others with the love of God because you will be it. You will own it. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Number three, God plans to transform you into an honest witness of God's love. God plans to transform you into an honest witness of God's love. Verse 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Wow, that's some pretty strong language, isn't it? He is a liar. Remember, all of us want two things in life. We want to know God personally. And we want those we care about to know God personally. But I'm not just talking about those we don't know. What about those you do know but don't care for? What about those brothers or sisters? What about those fellow human beings? In the weeks to come, we're going to discover what it looks like in each of the areas of your life network, in your family, in your friends, among your workmates, among your friends, and so on. And I'm sure in each of those areas, there has been, or maybe even is today, someone you don't like. Maybe you just don't have anything in common with them, or maybe you don't see eye to eye with them, or maybe you dislike them altogether. Maybe it's one-sided, or maybe it's a mutual hate. Maybe you hate each other. Maybe you're embittered towards someone, and maybe you can't forgive them and them you, or you, you them. Friends, that me is you too. I have, you have, like all human beings, have been created in the image of God. But as we know, that image got corrupted and compromised by humanity when we chose ourselves over God. That goes all the way back as far as the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. If you want to know more about it, read Genesis chapter 3. But because of this new relationship that we can have with God in Christ, and Christ in me by his spirit, that image gets reclaimed. And I am now someone who is tangible and visible, a representative of God to others. And then there is my brother or sister, or your brother or sister, a fellow human being like me, like you. And whether they're a Christian or not, they were created in the image of God too. Some of them have been born again. Some of them still need to be redeemed. Now, what happens when I have a conflict with my brother or sister? What if I hold bitterness toward them in my heart or I don't forgive them? And I withhold love from them. I'm not talking ushy-gushy kind of love. I'm talking the kind of love that would enable me to be able to serve them willingly. Folks, listen, if I can't love my brother or sister, my fellow human being, an image of God bearer, just like I am, then John says that I can't really love the invisible God who created them and me. Does that make sense? You know, we maybe don't want to admit it, but it's true. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. Does that make sense? Part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that you, that you didn't learn in school. You remember it? Um, next slide, please. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We know that prayer. 
off by heart, but there's a part of it that you don't know. It follows up right after it in our Bibles. It says, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's part of Jesus' sermon. Again, that's some pretty strong language, isn't it? But when you parallel it to what John wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you understand why, right? Because for God, love isn't just a feeling. It's who he is. And if we say that he is in us, then we ought to be like him. He expects us to be loving toward all he has made. In fact, it's a command, isn't it? Verse 21, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, we're all pretty smart people here, I think. So what do we think we need to do with the people in our life network that we don't love? Notice I didn't say want to do. It has nothing to do with want or feelings. You may not realize it, but your feelings got all twisted and corrupted and selfish by the fall. So we can't really trust our feelings' feelings. We're not Christians to get God to take our side. We're Christians to become like Christ. To become what he paid for on the cross, right? At the cross, he redeemed the image of God in us that we should be like him. Like him. And he paid for my forgiveness and my acceptance. And that's what I need to do too now as an image bearer, a redeemed image bearer of God. I need to die to my old self, my old, selfish, corrupt nature to truly live in God. And it's going to cost me to love and forgive those who hurt me, isn't it? It costs us something to forgive. It's going to cost me my feelings about it. It's also going to cost me my sense of justice about it. Verse 10 to 11, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the cost of love, my friends. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what do you think? I get that justice is needed in many situations. But our part in the justice is that we trust God to bring those who hurt us to justice because God is a far better judge than we are. If it's an actual crime, if it's an actual crime that has been committed against your person or someone else, then you can and should report that to the right authorities. But I'll say this as gently as I can as a brother. While you do that, you need to surrender those feelings and that justice to the Lord. And here's the hard part. (laughs) You think, well, that wasn't hard already? Here's the hard part, but a necessary part. You need to prepare yourself to love that person like Christ loved us for God while we were still his enemies, right? I think we've all seen the videos on social media or on the news or wherever where someone's family got killed and the Christian parents 
go to the jail and they tell the person in the jail, I forgive you. And then they go and they do all these acts of kindness and service to that person and they keep visiting them or whatever. There's, there's all kinds of stories like that. And that nowhere else is that possible except in the Christian faith. Because those people understood the cost of forgiveness. If you can't or won't love someone who's hurt you, then friend, you need to come and talk to me or come talk to a Christian counselor. We can recommend some. We can even help pay for some so that you can get and work through that with them. For God's sake, for your sake, for the sake of the image of God in you because you're worth it. I know when people hurt us, we're, we're not thinking of being a witness for Jesus at that moment, are we? We're, we're just not. But here's the thing. You can claim to believe all manner of things about Jesus, but if it doesn't change and guide the way you love others, maybe even especially the people you don't like, then John says we're living a lie. Like you, I have family, I have friends that I can't, that, that can't forgive other people. I have family and friends that can't forgive, and it, and it has twisted them up like a pretzel. I've seen it. And they're in so much pain. And now they're not only struggling with things like depression and anxiety and bursts of anger, but they're, they're struggling to love God because of it. Because they won't forgive and love. And when you harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart towards others, Satan gets a hold of that and he twists it up in you and you will suffer. None of us do that to ourselves intentionally. None of us want that. But honestly, a command to love is not something that we can just switch on or off when we feel like it. Commands don't work that way, do they? We probably won't ever feel like forgiving and loving those who hurt us, but that's why there is a command. And that's a good thing. Because I know for myself, there have been times in my life that loving certain people in my life network, even people very close to me, has only happened because I knew I needed to obey that command. Yeah? You know that experience too? So why don't we try to wake up different every day? Because really, it, the, the, how we orient ourselves first thing in the morning is really what governs the rest of our day. That's why pastors all through the centuries and millennia have, have encouraged people to get up early and to, to get into God's word and to spend time in prayer and meditation, to get into God and allow God to get it more into you so that you can become an honest witness of the love of Christ throughout your life network. So why don't we try waking up every morning, orienting ourselves to pursue love through our day by saying something like, Holy Spirit, I understand that Christ is in me. My Bible tells me that. And I understand I am in Christ, and that makes me a witness of God's love. I've seen God's love firsthand. You love me so, so much. And I want to reflect that love to others. I want to be love like God is love. May the love of Jesus be so much on my mind today that I naturally act like he does toward 
toward me. I'm, and I want to act like that towards others. Until my every impulse today is loving all you have made. Even those you who have hurt me. And then you will be an honest, flourishing witness of God's love. Folks, God's plan to transform you. He plans to transform you into a spirit, God-complete person so you can share life with him. God plans to transform you into a fearless, spirit-enabled Christ follower. God plans to transform you into an honest witness empowered by the Spirit of God to love others for God. Let's give him a thanksgiving wave, shall we? Amen? He's so good. He's so worth it. He's so worthy of all of our prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done. The only thing that's ringing through my mind right now, Lord, is while... I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. That's more than a truth. It's more than a theological proposition. That's a reality that I don't think my mind and my heart will ever plumb the depths of enough in this lifetime. I hope when I get to glory, I will be able to understand it more fully than I can right now with the limitations of my mind and my heart. Lord, I'm sure like my sisters and brothers here today, my heart during the day flip-flops between love of God and being upset or angry towards a brother. Lord, would you bring those two together in such a way that I will love God and love my neighbor as myself? That's the great command, isn't it, Lord? It's... Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Then you followed up with that, Jesus, and you said, these two laws fulfill all the law and the prophets. Every obedience, Lord, that I owe you is summed up in those two commands. We didn't even talk about those two today because there was so much to talk about in 1 John 4. But Lord, we need to be more complete in our devotion to you today and every day. Would you continue your plan? We give you the freedom today to continue your plan to change us, to transform us into your full image. And that'll mean us knowing how to love better in this world. And Lord, to be honest with you, that will be hard. And I'm sure there are sisters and brothers here today that are struggling with that. Maybe they're struggling with it with regard to a family member. Maybe a spouse. Maybe someone who hurt them, abused them. Lord, I pray that you would show them that above all things, all circumstances, all things that can happen, that you love them. That you love them and may they bathe themselves in that love so much that it that it affects how they're able to think and act towards others continue your completing work in us lord 
for you're worthy of our obedience today. You're also worthy of our hearts and we give ourselves over to you fully. And we say thank you for continuing your work in us even when we're maybe not always on board. Be with us in that, we pray. In Jesus' name.